Because you lot are all being good Anglicans and sitting well, well away from the front. I'm going to come and sit next to you guys. Yes, right. Total change of tack now. Well, perhaps not complete change of tack. Um, we're going to be talking, we're in the middle of a, um, an occasional series on the life of Abraham, or Abraham as he's still called um, at this stage of his story, though like Ivan a few, uh, few months ago, uh, just because um, I'll probably forget, I'm going to carry on calling him Abraham like you did the other day, Ivan. And our subject tonight is, um, is coming from Genesis chapter 14. If you'd like, to, um, it's on page 14, would you believe page 14? Of these wonderful new church Bibles that um, people have been so generously to give um, money to, uh, towards. And um, I'm going to be reading that in a moment. Um, I was a bit embarrassed by our vicar this morning, who uh, seemed to think that I was um, somehow well, uh, well qualified to talk on this subject. I don't know where he's coming from. And the, um, Possibly, yes. Thank you, Steve. He said, uh, for those of you who can't hear or on, the, or on the tape, he said age. There are laws against that sort of thing, Ellis. Um, first of all, my, li- um, my life seems to lurch from one sin and one failure to another, but that's another story. And then I suddenly thought, hang on, take, what's he after here? What's he want? <laughs> but, there, uh, but there again. I'm going to read this passage myself. It's custom- the usual custom is to... Um, um, in this evening service, to descend on somebody as they walk in the church at five past seven uh, and ask them to do the reading. But um, there are so many hard words in here, I thought, well, I've had a chance to practice, I'll do it myself. So here goes. Uh, this is the whole of Genesis chapter 14. So um, are you sitting comfortably? For those of you who are of my age, then I'll begin. At the time when um, Afra- Amraphel was king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Ehesa, Kedoleoma, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of Goim, these kings went to war against Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, Shemeba, king of Zeboim, and, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. All these latter kings joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the valley of the Dead, Dead Sea, and for twelve years they had been subject to Kedoleoma, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Kedoleoma and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Rephaites in Ashtaroth, Karnaim, the Zuzites in Ham, the Emites in Sheve Kidriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir as far as El Paran near the desert. Then they turned back and went to En Mishpah, that is Kadesh, and they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites, as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazadon Tamar. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admar, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which as we all know is Zoar, marched out and drew up their battle lines in the valley of Sidim against Kedoleoma, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elassar. Four kings against five. Now the valley of Sidim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into them, and the rest fled to the hills. The four kings seized all of the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and then they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. A man who escaped came and reported this to Abram the Hebrew. Now Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre the Amorite, 
the brother of Eshcol and Anna, all of whom were allied with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. During the night, Abraham divided his men to attack them, and he routed them, pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and bought back his relative Lot and his possessions, together with the women and the other people. After Abraham returned from defeating Kedolaema and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is, the valley of the kings. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be God to God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre. Let them have their share. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, in dealing with this passage about Abraham, and your desire for men of integrity, people of integrity, should I say, would you please open our ears so that we hear your voice tonight? Please take what I've prepared and use whatever is of it that you want to, Lord. As I always pray, Lord, I pray that I may be found to have handled the word of God correctly. So, Lord, here we are at your feet. Please challenge us, inspire us. But, Lord, we want to know you more. We want to be more like you. Lord, we want to see you glorified in the whole of our lives. Lord, you are worthy of all glory, of all honor, and of all praise and all blessing. Lord, we want to lift up high the name of Jesus tonight. Amen. So here we go. I want to start by just sketching in some of the um, background, the historical background um, to, the st- uh, to the stories we've heard. It. There's an awful lot of the kings of this, the kings of that, the kings of the other. Went, uh, went to battle with each other. But I just want to tease out one or two strands from this, because they will have a bearing on what we're going to be thinking about in a moment or two. We have all these, these kings. It was, a, it was a big political block in those days. Um, I don't know how many of you know the, um, the geography of the Old Testament lands. Um, I didn't, so I had to go and look this up. But um, these cities that these, these, these attacking kings come from, they're, they, they're coming from a very wide area. Um, Shinar, for example, is, almost, is in the east, somewhere by, by Babylon. Um, Elam is further down to the southeast of Babylon. So this, right, uh, this is somewhere between modern-day Baghdad and Basra, to those of you who watch your news bulletins. Um, and the others are dotted, dotted all around what's called the Fertile Crescent. Now, um, a lot of central Iraq, central Jordan, Saudi Arabia, as we know it today, 
is desert now. It was desert then. But there was a, um, a, a crescent of fertile land uh, going from the east round the north um, up by the mountains and down towards the Holy Land. Um, and this was where all the trade routes were. This is where all the settlements were. And a number of these kings were dotted around in different places. Um, we don't know where all of them um, came from, but certainly some seem to have come from um, as far, um, far around, the, um, around the crescent as um, eastern um, Asia Minor, i.e. Turkey. Um, so you can see that there the, the, the were... Uh, you know, there were the considerable distances involved. These were people of power. The leading figure of, the, um, of this alliance seemed to have been this chap, Kido Laoma. And um, as you will see from, from the story, when uh, the, the king of Sodom and Gomorrah and the other kings rebelled against them, they, ca they came out and they devastated a lot of the lands. They overran them. These were serious military forces, you know, the, the United States or the USSR of, um, um, of 20 or 30 years ago. These were the big military powers, and they held, uh, you know, they held control over the whole area until the, uh, the kings of Sodom, Gomorrah, um, et al. decided to, re uh, to rebel. And so along, they came, along comes Kedalaoma and his colleagues, um, you know, conquering lands as they went, um, and they end up meeting the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, the five kings, um, in, the, uh, vale, um, in the Vale of Sidim, which uh, was later, following the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, to become the bed of the Dead Sea. Um, these kings really, and what can you say about them? Probably nothing polite that I can repeat in church. They, they picked a battle site, because um, they actually picked the battle site. They, they drew up their lines and waited for uh, Kido Leoma and his, and his, his pals to come along. They pitched in the most appalling site for a battlefield. It's, the passage here says it's full of tar pits and whatnot. And, so, um, and when, of course, they, the highly, what was, I think, was assumed to be the highly predictable loss of the battle occurred, um, they ran away, and a lot of them fell into tar pits. They, uh, you know, there was no easy retreat. So the king of Sodom um, was a bit of a fool, to put it bluntly. We then discover later on he wasn't even there. He comes out from Sodom later on when Abraham comes back, and more about that in a moment. So what sort of leadership is that? Is he a coward? And he also provides over one of the most morally corrupt societies we knew about. Now, you'll, um, I imagine we'll be dealing with um, Lot being rescued from Sodom and Gomorrah at a later date, so I'm not going to go into that now. Um, but I would imagine um, you know, the name of Sodom stinks to high heaven now. I'd imagine it did then. Um, and um, that will have bearing on um, Abraham's response to, um, uh, to the king of Sodom later on. Anyway, we eventually, having gone through all that, we get to uh, verse um, 12, which really is the whole point of this story, which they carried off Abraham's nephew Lot. And Abraham gets to hear of it. Now, you will remember um, the last time we um, were considering Abraham, he and Lot, their, their, um, their herdsmen and whatnot are squabbling over the, um, the land, and they so they decide to, to separate. And Abraham says, choose whatever you want. You, take, you go that way. I'll go in whatever you leave behind. And Lot says, right, well, I have this lot. And he picks all the good land. Abraham has to put up with the rest. All right, then. Um, bit miffed, you might say. But Abraham, when he hears about Lot, because his family, he still goes after and does something about him. And this uh, I bring in now, because I'll probably forget it later, is one aspect of 
what God is asking for us as, uh, as people of integrity. He's asking for faithfulness. And despite you know, all that Lot's done for him, done to him, Abraham still goes after him. It says here he took 318 men, which doesn't sound a lot when you're going against the main military power of, uh, of, of the day. But then, it, uh, then you notice as well he takes um, um, forces from his, his allies, from Mamre, Eshkol, and Anna. More about them later on as well. Um, so it is actually a slightly bigger force than that. We're not told how he managed to defeat this major force. We, or just, um, we don't know whether there was divine intervention or what. It's certainly not mentioned. It's one of these many intriguing things about this story that we're not told. But nonetheless, Abraham routes this major um, military force, takes all their goods, all their, um, um, all their, uh, their booty, all the stuff that... Um, had been carried off from Sodom and Gomorrah and the other um, and the other cities, and brings them back. And he's met by two people. He's met by Mel, uh, by the king of Sodom, and he's met by this chap, who we know very little about, Melchizedek. Melchizedek was king of Salem, which most people feel was probably to become the future Jerusalem which then was an independent city and was until the time of David when he overran it. Um, and therefore, also the theory goes, inherited the, the kingly priest um, title that, that the kings of uh, Salem, stroke Jebus, had in those days. And therefore, Jesus, who was a descendant of David, becomes the, um, you know, the priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's the theory, at least, if you look in the commentaries. I'll leave you to work out for yourself whether you, you find that helpful or not. But I just want to... I don't want to spend a lot of time on Melchizedek, because we know very little about him, but, but he is an important figure later on in the Bible, um, particularly in the letter of the, the Hebrews. And I'll leave you to go and read that yourselves. I just want to just detour a little bit and just think about him for a moment. He comes out and he brings bread and wine. Does that ring any bells? This was originally supposed to have been a community, communion service, and it would have been lovely if we'd been able to have it, because it would have brought this whole thing in, um, into sharp focus. But unfortunately, Tim can't be with us tonight. He's busy running the household while, his wife, while Kate gets over uh, the little op she had um, a couple of days ago. Do pray for them. Um, all's going very well, I, get, I gather, but nonetheless, Tim's tied up at home. But Melchizedek comes out with bread and wine. His greatest successor, Jesus, comes to us with bread and wine. The bread and wine that Jesus brings is, of course, his body and his blood. And in that, he's, say, he's coming to us saying, I'm giving you myself. All that I am, I give you. All my righteousness, I give you. All my love, I give you. All my resources, I give you. I promise you, this is where we get straight into covenant theology, which we haven't got time to go into now. I promise you that when you are in need, I will be there for you. This is a promise sealed with my own blood. I just want to stop for a moment. Let us take that on board. No matter what our needs, no matter what we're up to, no matter how big our problems, no matter how much we've failed, no matter how big our sins, Jesus is there. He's holding his hands up to us and he says, I forgive. I'm here for you. I love you. 
I want to raise you up. I want to change you so that you're like I am, like, like me. Let's just in a moment of quiet, let's come to Jesus and allow him to minister where we need to be ministered to. Jesus, we thank you that you are God who comes and meets us as we are. You are God, a Savior who accepts us as we are. Lord, we remind ourselves again of the truth that while we are still sinners, you loved us and you gave your life for us. So as St. Paul says, now that we know you, how much more are you going to bless us, Lord? Forgive us when we don't come to you and know your power your love, your provision. But Lord, I want to pray your blessing on each one of us here. That we might go and have, go from this place having known that we've met you tonight. Amen. So to come to the main theme of our, um, this talk tonight, uh, Abraham is a man of integrity. A good place to start is what is integrity? You'll be very glad to know that I haven't been anywhere near a dictionary. I would just like to say that integrity is the, the opposite of hypocrisy. And I'm going to develop that um, in, the, in the remarks that are going, are going to come up. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make two points, really, based on Abraham's inter, um, response to the king of Sodom. First of all, he says, I have sworn an oath that I will accept nothing from you. So that anybody could say that the king of Sodom has made me rich. And what he's saying here, I think, is that you're such an unholy, horrible tyrant. I know that sounds a bit judgmental. I'm putting words into Abram's mouth. But, uh, you know, from what we've seen of the king of Sodom and what we know of that city, I think he was asking for it. I am going to have nothing to do with you and your sin. And the second point I'm going to develop in a moment or two is that whereas Abraham did that himself, he did not expect any of his associates to do that either. He did not impose his own will upon them. So, what is integrity then? It's a number of things. It's first of all doing our best to avoid, any, just like Abraham, anything to do with sin. Now, of course, in all of that, this is a work in progress. Beware of anybody who says they've got it all sorted, because it's not true. God calls Abraham a couple of chapters away. It's, it's interesting that once this episode is, uh, uh, Steve, uh, oh yeah, am I? Yeah, okay. Oh, that's better. Um, as soon as this episode is over, we start seeing the first of the processes by which God establishes His covenant relationship with Abraham. Okay, which I'd love to go into tonight, but we don't have time. At one of the later stages in chapter 17, God says this to Abraham. If I can just, excuse me a moment, when I turn the page. I am God Almighty, says um, God in, Abraham, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. 
we need to. I've gone again. Yeah, I think I may be running out of batteries. So, shall I take the handheld? Yeah, okay. Excuse me a moment. This one should do. My apologies for that. Um, God says to Abram, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Now that does not mean that Abram is going to be perfect and never get anything wrong from that day, that day onwards. We know full well that he made his own fair share of mistakes, um, including repeating one that he'd already made. Um, you recall the episode where he um, went into Egypt and passed Sarah, Sarai, his wife, off as his sister because they'd, uh, out of fear. And he repeats that mistake, for goodness sake. Um, so Abram's human, just like the rest of us. He got it wrong. But what's he, uh, um, So what is God asking of us? He's asking, first of all, that we do actually deal with issues in our lives that need to be dealt with. Integrity starts with the thought life. What does, God, um, what does, what does Jesus ask us, of us? The gospel he preached was the kingdom of heaven at hand, repent and believe. Those are the two things Jesus asks us to do. He says, be open to me. Respond to the things that need, need dealing with that, need, that I'm putting my finger on. That sounds very uncomfortable. And in some ways it is. But just remember that as we do this, we're doing this within the context of the love of Jesus who has already died for us. He is doing this. He's putting things on the, uh, his finger on things because he loves us and he wants us to be free from them. And let's face it, deep down, we want to be free of these things as well. No matter what, in some of the, um, you know, whatever it is, and I'm not going to go into details, we all struggle with these things. I struggle with these things. Um, if you knew some of the things I'd had to confess to a few people, it would, um, turn, uh, it would turn your head. But God is a God of grace. And he does this to forgive. And he does this to restore. He does this to build us up. And so you find after a bit that actually you can come to God with your sins without having to be afraid because God never, never, never condemns. God always, always, always forgives. And that is the message, that message he's getting to us. This is the message we have to take to others. And he then says, believe. So believe that I am here. You know. What are, the, what are the main things God wants us to get rid of? If you look at the scriptures, the list is often not the same as um, what, what you or I would, th- would think. Um, I mean, a lot of people get, uh, get um, hung up on telling lies. Now, yes, we must be truthful. But there are times in the Bible where people are blessed by God for telling lives, lies. And if you want to look, um, and if you want to prove of that, look at the story of the um, Israelite midwives in Exodus chapter one or chapter two, who, to protect the um, the, the, uh, the male babies, Israelite babies, from uh, Pharaoh's slaughter, slaughterers, used to tell a whole stack of porky pies, and God blessed them for it. So let's be, be careful that we don't get things out of proportion. But what are the things that God wants us to deal with? First of all. He wants us to deal with issues like forgiveness. Very, very important. He wants to deal with anger. 
That's a major issue that um, I think a lot of us struggle with. And I, um, I have my own theory, and I'm willing to be knocked down on this one, that a lot of depression is actually re repressed anger. I, get, I learned that by looking at myself. He wants us to deal with these things. The, the scripture says very, very, careful, uh, very clearly, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, whether that means sorting out a matter while, um, you know, before you go to bed, or whether it means just, you know, if you can't sort it out, just bringing, the, bringing your own emotions to the Lord and Lord, saying, Lord, here they are. I lay this before you. This is, um, I trust you to sort things out in your own time. In the meantime, I lay my anger and I let go of it before you go to bed. It's very, very wise advice. It's in Psalm 4 if you want to um, read it. It was also quoted in Ephesians 4. Things, uh, things like that. He wants us to be open to him about the things that are wrong. He wants to be open about our motives that are wrong. Cause it's, and it's very easy because we fool ourselves so easily. We don't fool anybody else, but we fool ourselves. And because of that, it's, um, as well as being open to be God, it's, it's as well to have somebody who can sh you can share these things with on a one-to-one -one basis. Find someone you can trust. This is, this is something that um, you know, James's letter says, confess your sins to one another and you will be healed. Um, John Wesley's take on it was to, be, um, was to come up with this whole idea of accountability, where you find somebody who you, who you trust and you're open about the things you're struggling with, how you're dealing with, um, and they, you know, and you can share them with them. They can talk to them, and they, can, and if necessary, they can point out where you're fooling yourself, because we all do it, and it's always worth having an, um, another um, person's um, take on this. We share our problems, so because um, with two of us, or three of us, if you include the Lord as well, um, you can, uh, we can know victory, we can know over them. So that is often what God is um, asking us for. The opposite of um, integrity, as I said earlier, is hypocrisy. And what is hypocrisy? But, but pretending, to be, pretending to be something we're not. And it's terribly easy when you get into Christian circles to do precisely that, because we think, because we find ourselves going under law again, that because we're a Christian, we've got to be that, 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 we've got to be that. And it gets preached by the, ch uh, by the, um, by the churches, and we find it more, uh, more, uh, more, and we um, we find we think we've got to bury the stuff that we um, that needs dealing with, where in fact it needs to come out, uh, come out on the surface and let it be dealt with. Not not in the full church, but in um, in private with one or two. Um, the Bible says a lot about um, the secrets for hearts being revealed on the final day. A confessed sin, a confessed motive. In public, in openly to somebody else, is no longer a secret of the heart. Okay, and as you do that, it is it can be dealt with. But all our, um, everything in our heart will be laid bare one day. Okay. We see we we've all heard stories of these big evangelists and whatnot, who um, who, who you know um, radio ministries, television ministries, and whatnot, and then. You know, they, they find you find out actually there's dirty laundry in there. Um, you know, Jesus will not allow us to carry on with unconfessed sin. He will bring, he will bring it to light, as I have discovered in my um, to my cost in the past. He will um, he will uh, you know, be, and the scripture says, be, be sure that your sin will find you out. Jesus loves us too much to let us carry on. 
uh, like that. He wants it dealt with and he will do whatever is necessary to deal with it. So part of integrity is not being perfect in that sense of the word. Part of integrity is being open and being who we are. All right? God created us as we are. Yes, we've got problems. I am here tonight, and I've been given this ministry to preach tonight, not because I'm any good as a Christian. I'm not. But because God gave, and Jesus gave his life for me. Jesus didn't give me this ministry of preaching and of worship leading because I've earned it. I haven't. He gave it to me because he loves me. And he says, I'm, you mean something. I believe in you. And he gives each one of us, because the, the, the scripture says, out of, his, um, out of his grace, he gives gifts to each one of us. Sorry, guys, I'm leaving you. you I'm, leaving, I'm blanking you out. I do apologize. He, leaves each of, uh, he gives each one of us a gift, because he says, I love you. You have value. I'm giving you a function. I'm giving you a chance to share in, share, uh, in giving my grace sharing my grace and showing my grace to other, the others. This is what the street pastor's doing on the, on the weekend nights. They're showing the grace of God, the love of God to people who think they've put themselves past it. And nobody can ever put themselves past the love of God. I think most of us know that because we've been on the receiving end of his love in situations where we never thought he could possibly forgive us. So... Integrity is being open, is being honest. Because people outside, they can, they can smell hypocrisy a mile off. And it, it's one of the commonest accusations that are thrown at the church. And to be perfectly honest, a lot of the time I think we've deserved it. My prayer tonight is that we can come before God, we can be honest, we can, be with, we can deal with these issues. And each of us, I think, comes to a point where God says, I want you to deal with these issues. One book I read once said, uh, uh, was a testimony of Champion, who said, God said to him once, plow up your fallow ground, i.e., get the sin in your life confessed. And it often means a fairly systematic approach yeah, uh, to make sure that everything is covered. And, and I think anybody who's going to have to do is, um, God is going to call each one of us to doing that. Don't be afraid of it. It's, un it's unpleasant here. Yeah, we have to face things about ourselves that perhaps we don't want to. But, boy, afterwards, it's worth it. But it's an ongoing process. It's an ongoing process. There are still issues I'm fighting. There are still issues I'm dealing with. Um, you know, a number of sins I'm fighting against. Um, life outside is not particularly easy at the moment. But God is there. And, um, you know, we're not in this ministry because of we've got it right. We haven't. Somebody said once, and I'm sure most of you have heard of this before, somebody said, evangelism is one beggar showing another beggar where to get bread. And I like that because it keeps us humble. And, and when people will see that we are actually becoming like Jesus, they may not realize that it's Jesus we're becoming like, but when they see the difference, um, then they will start to respond... Another well-known quote from St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the word all the time. Preach the gospel constantly. And if necessary, use words. Now he's probably overstating it a bit, um, overstating a bit to get the point across. But nonetheless, if our lives are not reflecting 
the love of Jesus, and our words are useless. I must hurry up because I'm running over. Um, I'm running over, but that's nothing new for those of you who know me. The second point um, I want to make, which which I think I've partially covered already, Abram says, "I'm not going to accept, uh, accept a penny of you because I have thrown, uh, sworn an oath." But nonetheless, he re- respects other. Um, uh, uh, the, the right to others to have a share of uh, the king of Sodom's booty, as it were. Um, first of all, he gives a tenth of it to Melchizedek. And by doing that, he is acknowledging the lordship of God, because Melchizedek is priest of God Most High. And by giving a tenth, he is acknowledging God's lordship over him. And I think also acknowledging God's hand in winning this incredible victory over, the, um, over this mighty army. Secondly, he says that let my allies have their share. All right. It was the law, or the, the, certainly the custom in those days, if an army beat another army, they took everything. That was life as it was then. And the Kidaleoma's um, um, uh, army had uh, walked off with all the um, goods um, from Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram won them back. They were his by right, according to the um, social mores of the day. Um, he's, um, Abram's allies came out with him they were entitled to their cut but Abram wasn't having any of his own what he did not do was he did not impose his own desire uh, uh, own views of what was right on his allies and there's a lesson in this for us as well because it's very easy and you see it in churches up and down church history to, to try and start preaching law to try and say, you know, we, we know this, we, uh, you know, we've done this, we believe that uh, this sort of behavior is right, this, that sort of behavior is right, and we start to try and impose it on others. And we become, if we're not careful, we can become judgmental. And you don't have to look very far to see episodes of this. And, um, and it's, it's easy to put, point the finger at others. You can look at the Southern Baptists in the States, and they're very rigid views. I went, um, Cheryl and I went um, a long time ago um, on a driving tour around the uh, western highlands of Scotland, the far northwest, where uh, I'm told about a hundred years ago there was quite a big work of the Holy Spirit going on. By the time we got there, um, that had died and we were left with what I think is uh, commonly called the We Freeze, the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland. Now, I I don't want to slag them off, but you may remember this... um, that the then uh, Labour Lord Chancellor, Lord Mackay, who was a member of that church, um, had got thrown out on his ear because he went to a Catholic uh, colleague's flu- funeral. Um, it, was, it was quite big news in the press at the time. This was about 20, you know, 24, 25 years ago. Um, and we, here, Cheryl and I, um, we fa- found this church on the way and we thought, oh, well, we'll go in there and have a look. It was, it was, it was a revelation because there was... Um, it was sad in many ways, um, the, the self-righteousness, um, the intolerance of sin in others that, um, that, that, that had come. This is what happens when a revival dies. It turns into legalism. We really do need to pray that we don't fall into the same trap. It's happened time and time again. And it's very easy. Um, I, I'm pointing the f- finger at other de- denominations. But I can point the finger just as easily at myself. With me, it's, uh, I struggle with Christians who smoke. And I constantly have to watch my attitude about that. Um, so, uh, because um, because other, um, otherwise, you know, that could um, 
develops into something bigger. So, and people, you know, see to us, Jesus never judged. Look at the woman caught in adultery. You know, when Jesus doodled in the sand and he said to her accusers, who had just brought her up to, to, to prove a point, um, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And when they all went away, he said to the woman, where are they who condemn you? She said, they're not here. Well, I don't condemn you either. But then he says, go and sin no more. That, in many ways, encapsulates Jesus' attitudes to sinners. It encapsulates Jesus' attitudes to us. And it really has got to encapsulate our attitude to others. Because if we don't get that right, people aren't going to see Jesus in us, in whatever our, um, our walks of life. It's all about our attitudes. There's no point, you know, we, it's easy in church. We all, you know, it's easy to be, you know, say the right things, to believe the right things um, when, we're all together, uh, when we're all together. What are we like when we go out? Into the world, back into the world tomorrow. What am I like in my outpatient clinic? What are we like in the factory? What are we like in the school? In our attitudes to others, because people would see that. You know, we won't get it right all the time. There are times when I lose my temper at work. Sometimes it's justified, sometimes I guess it's not. It's important to apologize afterwards and put it right. People will, people will uh, respect that. But they need to see our attitude. They need to see that we care. They need to see Jesus within us every step of the day. As St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel constantly, constantly, use words if necessary. Because we are there to be Jesus to others. Final, and I'm stopping now, I just want to finish by going back to the, um, pa the passage in Isaiah that Tim preached from this morning. Um, there's an enormous amount in there, and Tim was only able to, be, because we were having testimonies from, uh, from the various uh, sections of um, the church work, and we had some really exciting stuff this morning. If, uh, if you weren't there, then get hold of the, download the, uh, the tape off the, off the website. There's some really exciting stuff going on. Um, but he says right at the end of that reading, I, this is God speaking, I, even I, who am he who blots out your transgressions, for my own sake and remembers your sins no more just remember we are saved yeah we benefit from it but that's not the primary why we are saved we are saved so that God's name might be glorified now I've rambled over quite a bit but the message I want to get, um, get home is integrity means allowing Jesus being more like himself being honest it means being humble means realizing that we are fallible, we struggle with sins. And one thing I have learned in my own struggle with sin is that, or at least I hope I've learned, is to be, is to, um, be more gracious to those who are around me who are struggling. One thing I've learned from having struggled to forgive is to know that I have been forgiven a lot. One thing I've learned from having received grace that God wants me to give that grace to others, whether it's deserved. Well, grace never is deserved. That's the whole point of it. So that's the challenge tonight, to allow God to search us and to change us to be more like him so that people will see him and will listen to us. Amen. <laughs>